Hello and welcome to Just Plain Wrong, the podcast where three Mennonite librarians discuss Amish fiction and depictions of Amish, Mennonite, and other plain groups in pop culture. This week, we are joined by Andrew Unger, a Mennonite author from Steinbeck, Manitoba, and creator of the Mennonite satire site, The Daily Bonnet. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. So you're only our second guest, but we've decided that our tradition with guests is going to be uh, to start off uh, with our Amish romance title generator. So I'm going to share the screen and you're going to uh, get to tell us your Amish romance title. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) An Amish assassin's simple tears escape. (laughs) Wow. Yes. I mean, oh, okay. I guess if an Amishman gets broken down to the point where they are an assassin, I, I would cry too. Yeah. I want to read that book. I'll write that book. That'll be I was my say, That should be the next book you write, <laughs> <Yeah>. really. <laughs> anyway, thank you for doing that. <laughs> so talking about writing books, uh, you have just recently published a book called Once Removed through Turnstone Press. It came across... Uh, the desk at the Mennonite Historical Library a few months ago. I took a look. Uh, Would you give us a quick synopsis of what the book's about and how you came to write it? Yeah, so basically uh, it's a a story of a small Mennonite town in Canada where there's there's sort of warring factions, I guess as much war as you might have in a Mennonite town, not literal war, of course, but, you know, pacifist war Uh, uh, between the people in town that want to uh, destroy all the buildings and, you know, put up big box stores and a Walmart or something like that. And the people that want to preserve the history. Um, so it, it, those are, that's kind of like the main conflict. It's a comedy though. That didn't sound really probably very funny, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, I, t- I usually tell people it's like 80% funny and 20% serious, you know? So. Did you find yourself doing a lot of, external research for the book or was it all familiar enough to you that you could write a book about Mennonites without having to delve any deeper into research? Well, I think I did know a lot about, you know, enough about Mennonites that the Mennonite aspects of it, I I could write without doing a lot of research. There's some references to history and so on. And, um, you know, there, there I would sort of just confirm the facts and make sure I got the details right. Uh, but there's times when I'm mentioning historic things that I that deliberately changed from reality, you know, because it's fiction. You don't want something to be too, someone be able to say, oh, that was me or that was my grandfather or something like that. <laughs> so I did make some changes to uh, history, even, you know, out, you know, even after I researched it. But the other kind of research that uh, that I've done, uh, you know, the last few years, my wife and I have kind of just as a hobby just driven around in the rural area around here and just down gravel roads and stuff and look for abandoned buildings and historic sites, maybe even historic sites that aren't even acknowledged as historic sites, but old grain elevators or do you know what, do you know what grain elevators are? Do you have those down there? Uh, Yeah, there was, there was one in my hometown that was abandoned. My brothers and I used to go climb on Mm -hmm. it kind yeah. of reckless very, and it, it ended up burning down a few years ago <laughs> yeah exactly there's probably a sign about. that we shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> um. yeah old barns grain elevators that kind of thing so it's just kind of a, and it's especially during the pandemic there's nothing else to do so <laughs> just yeah. drive around and see what's there 
So that kind of played into it. I wouldn't call that research, but it did like factor into my writing for sure. Um, and actually kind of as a follow-up question, I was just thinking, obviously you've done a lot of writing through the Daily Bonnet, but to write a full novel is, I'm guessing, a very different experience. But I would be curious a little bit in what some of the similarities and difference were in, you know, making a different kind of... Uh... The style of humor, I would say, there's definitely parallels. So I'm not sure if the book would exactly qualify as satire, but there's definitely parallels in, in the style of humor from the website to the book and the particular cultural Russian Mennonites uh, that are mentioned are, are similar. Writing the Daily Bonnet in some ways is much easier because you have a structure, a, a organization of an article. You already have that kind of figured out for you. So it's just a matter of watching the news or paying attention and sort of putting a Mennonite twist on whatever whatever is happening, but the structure organization is all right there. But writing a novel, obviously the structure is more complex and you have to develop characters and story over a much longer, you know, the, the Daily Bonnet articles, most of them average maybe 200 or 250 words. So they take, you know, 10 minutes to write. So this is just the, just the sort of persistence and, and sustaining an idea for a long period of time. Definitely that is a, uh, it's a, Totally different thing. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, you actually kind of mentioned something I wanted to talk about next. Um, as followers of the Daily Bonnet, we've noticed that you make a lot of references about Canadian and Russian Mennonites, Mennonite groups with slightly different histories than the Swiss German descended Amish groups that we've discussed so far on the podcast. So we're curious, what is the biggest misconception you think that Swiss German Mennonites have about Russian Mennonites? Uh, that were Russian? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <I'm>, yes. <laughs> maybe maybe Swiss German Mennonites are aware, already aware of this, I don't know, but but the, but the term Russian Mennonite is a, actually a misnomer. It refers to the fact that, that that's where we had lived before we moved to North America, but the, the Groups of people that people call Russian Mennonites actually originated in the Netherlands. Uh, you know, that's where Menno Simons was from, right? The Netherlands and Belg the Dutch areas of Belgium. They lived in Prussia for a couple centuries and actually only lived in Russia for maybe 100 years. And actually, when we lived there, it's actually what's now Ukraine. So, you know, it's a little bit um, confusing. Uh, and, and the term Russian Mennonite, I think, is just stuck. And we use that. <laughs> to distinguish between Russian Mennonites and Swiss Mennonites, but really it it's not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Cause we've been wanting to kind of bring that up in our podcast because we've run into it a couple of times. So that was a, thanks for explaining <laughs> that. That was awesome. And then kind of as a related thing, what would you say, obviously, because there's very different foods associated with those different backgrounds. What is the tastiest food that non-Canadians are missing out on. But so I was wondering about this. You mean tastiest Mennonite food or just any Canadian food in general? Either one, actually. Maybe oh, one of each. Sure. <laughs> yeah. One, one of each. Okay. Well, the, I would say the best, um, you know, Men what they would call Mennonite food, Russian Mennonite food that maybe Swiss Mennonites wouldn't be familiar with would be, do you know what pierogies are? Yes. Okay. But, but, the, but Mennonites, 
in Western Canada have a pierogi. Well, we'd say vrenicha. That's how we'd say it. Yeah. Have you heard that word or seen that word written? <laughs> yes. And I realized I have been mispronouncing it. Can you say that again? <laughs> uh, vrenicha. Some people say it vrenicha. Okay. Depends on your dialect. But uh-huh. but it's, these are basically uh, cottage cheese pierogies. And instead of putting sour cream like uh, Ukrainians would do, you put um, something called fat, which is basically a white, it's like a bechamel sauce, but you know, we're, we're not so fancy. That's, that's fancy talk. <laughs> so, so, so it's called fat, which is just like a white cream gravy. And then, and then the farmer sausage, uh, which is, I don't really know. I've had a lot of different types of sausages and it's, it's uh, unique from any other, you know, German sausages or whatever. So those would be like the, the Mennonite dishes that I think you might be missing out on. Although there's probably some Americans, uh, maybe in Kansas, Kansas Mennonites that might be familiar with those dishes. But in terms of like a quintessential Canadian dish, it's French Canadian would be poutine. Are you familiar with yeah. poutine? That has gotten very nice. popular in the U.S., I'd say, in the last five to ten years. Yeah, it's a pub food. Yeah. So here, you know, it it, it started with just like the cheese curds and gravy, mm-hmm. but now the poutine restaurants, you, there's, you know, 30 different varieties. <laughs> it's not very healthy. <laughs> it it sounds delicious. delicious. <laughs> I, I would love to go to a poutine restaurant. That sounds amazing. <laughs> half, half my family's Canadian and my favorite Canadian foods are the summer sausage from Waterloo County. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably butter tarts. Oh Yeah. Is that not common in the they States? Don't, they, don't, they don't exist down here. As I say, I've oh, never wow. heard of them. <laughs> it's like a pecan pie, but without the pecans and more butter and in a tinier tart and okay. better somehow. Yeah. I've seen okay. actually people throw pecans in it. Yeah. Then it's just a small pecan pie, I guess. <laughs> I think the only Russian Mennonite food my parents ever made was like growing up was borscht, which I actually liked, even though it's like beet based and a lot of people don't like beets, but I don't think I even knew Russian Mennonites really existed until college. <laughs> yeah. You know, so in, in Manitoba, we would like, there's also a, a large Ukrainian population. And we would say that the, that the beet borscht was more associated with the Ukrainians and the, and, and the Mennonites would eat uh, cabbage borscht or kums borscht. <laughs> And usually there'd be farmer sauces thrown in there. That kind of flavors the, the gravy. But there's also something called summer borscht, which is, uh, we mean summer borscht, which is, um, well, you make it in summer. It has, it's <laughs> more of a, it has sorrel in it. Yeah, Basically, borscht is like whatever you throw into a pot, I think. As long as it's, it's purple, like, right? <laughs> it's like poutine. Yeah. <laughs> you can throw anything in there. <laughs> Although personally, I'd rather go to a poutine restaurant than a borscht restaurant. I mean, <laughs> no offense, borscht is amazing, but if I had to choose something with thirty varieties, I'd go with poutine. There's actually now some of the restaurants uh, in Mennonite areas do Mennonite poutine. I said, is it? Does it just involve cabbage? I just assume everything Mennonite involves cabbage at some point. Actually, I've not seen anyone put cabbage on it, but little bits of farmer sausage. It's got the cheese curds and the gravy. Little bits of farmer sausage and. Um, Sometimes the schmont fat that I mentioned earlier depends. There's different variations. 
Oh, well, this has been fun. Often our episodes digress into like frugality tips. So this week we're digressing <laughs> into a, you know, all the culinary delights of Canada <laughs> and Russian Mennonites. We do want to talk to you more about the Daily Bonnet and your work on that. Uh, so I guess what was it like? Like, what's it been like running a satire site and starting a satire uh, site for Mennonites? It's been good. I think uh, the reception has mostly been positive, not entirely, but for the most part, it's been, po- it's been positive and it's, you know, people seem to like it. So I keep writing it, I guess. So, um, you know, and it's opened up. I mean, I think it's opened up opportunities for me in terms of like, I'm sure that probably like, you know, a publisher probably wouldn't have been interested in my book if I hadn't started the website. Right. I'm guessing, I don't know. It's been good and good in that way. And I've before the pandemic, you know, I had opportunities to speak and, that was always fun to meet people because sometimes you you write an article and you don't know. You can tell how many people watch, uh, read it, uh, but you don't really know which parts of it they find funny or don't or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not like stand-up comedy where you have that immediate, direct audience response and know exactly where people are laughing and where people aren't laughing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, it's been interesting on the few times before the pandemic when I've read live in front of people and Parts that I that I thought were funny maybe didn't get a sometimes didn't get a reaction that I thought they would and, and parts that I thought oh well that's just that's not that funny got big reactions so that was sort of an interesting thing and it's sort of surprising sometimes. Yeah, well, and you sort of mentioned your process that you would kind of pay attention to the news headlines and just sort of Mennonite Mennoniteify things. Um, but like, how uh, do you have like a running list? And how many posts do you? I know you post a lot, but how many posts do you try and um, write a week? Yeah, so I do have a quite a long running list, and sometimes I don't write down an idea. It's not a fully formed headline. It might just be one word or one thing that comes up that I'm like, Oh, I I guess I haven't written about this or that like Dutch bliss. That's, that's something that probably both American and Canadian Mennonites are familiar with. Uh, You know, I hadn't written about Dutch bliss. Well, I have now I've written about a bunch of times, but that would have might've just been the idea. Just that one phrase or name would have been on the list. Oh yeah. So by now, so I've been doing this since 2016. So I've, I've written one every single day, since then, and sometimes more than one. So I've written 2,200 or well over 2,000 anyways. And I don't necessarily write every day. I try to write every day, but I, I uh, sometimes I'll write a, a few in a row or whatever. But I try to write a couple months in advance just so I never, you know, over time I develop, you know, I had a sort of a stash, I guess you could say, of, of articles so that I never felt, oh, no, I've got to come up with something for tomorrow that I always have this reservoir that I can draw on. So yeah, I have written, a, you know, a couple months in advance. Of course, when something happens in the news, then you have to write it more immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's more, some of the more general, like a Dutch blitz joke can be posted anytime. So of those 2,200 some posts, does one stick out to you that was particularly popular? I think perhaps statistically the most popular one in terms of the, that had the most clicks, I think was the one about Mennonite, Mennonite biker gangs clash with hell's angels at Sturgis uh, motorcycle rally. And uh, I don't know why that one, you know, sort of went viral, but some people thought it was real and, but it should have been so obvious that one was actually fact-checked 
by Snopes.com because people thought it was real. And uh, like I had, I described how these were like horse and buggy Mennonites and they were, you know, going to the Sturgis motorcycle rally and selling them quilts and stuff like that. And, and, and leading them in hymns, leading the bikers in hymns and stuff. And I, I don't know how people could have thought that was real, but whatever. That was funny. That, that was probably one of the more viral ones. Oh, that's great. That actually, that's great. Uh, our next question was if you had any examples of people thinking, <laughs> thinking your stories were real. So I don't know if you have any other good stories. <laughs> Definitely. It does happen sometimes, you know, more so in the first six months or year uh, of the, of the website when, you know, people would come to it and they haven't heard of it before. Now it happens less often, but still sometimes there are people that, that think it's real and that's sort of amusing, I guess. It's not the intention to deceive anyone, but it still happens. Shifting a little bit to just kind of talking about Mennonites and humor, uh, do you have any favorite Mennonite jokes? Well, um, I don't know if it's that great a joke, but one that we always used to say was, what's the difference between a Mennonite and a canoe? Is canoe's tip? <laughs> But maybe American or Swiss Mennonites don't have that reputation for frugality, or do you? Oh, we do. <laughs> but I would hope yeah, that the new generation of us, we I, we tip, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and any advice for Mennonites who want to try to be funny? Um, yeah. Anything that you, you have found useful to you? Just observe. Just look around, you know? And if you're thinking of, well, sometimes I'm writing about myself in a very little literal sense, but observing yourself or observing your family or observing your church or, or your community or whatever. And if you just start thinking of it satirically or in a humorous way, I think, I think the jokes are right there in front of you. In my family that always translated to uh, butchering hymns often on the way to church, but occasionally in church, uh, which earned us the reputation as a family where we had to strategically sit in different ways so that the people who were most likely to butcher him intentionally were not sitting next to the people who were likely to laugh at that so that we wouldn't have to excuse ourselves. You were doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My dad, usually. <laughs> when you say butcher him, what oh. do you mean? Like changing the lines around, clearly. Yeah. Changing the lines around. Um well, the go-to is always if you take the hymn, God is so good, you can replace the word God with anything. Oh. And that one's super easy. But then there's also things like, um, you know, sometimes it was just simple substitutions of words that made no sense or deliberately trying to rhyme things that no longer rhyme. <laughs> My mother actually was maybe the most disruptive. She is a pastor's daughter and she taught us just as you can with fortune cookies, fortunes. If you add the words in bed onto the end of a hymn, it's just uniformly awful and you will laugh and people will look at you weird. Uh, you I was already thinking come, of something come, right Emmanuel, now. in bed or, <laughs> you know, Lord Jesus, hold me tighter in bed. You know, like it's just... <laughs> You're yeah. corrupting, no. corrupting us. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, I'm I'm glad my family is not the only ones that had to sit strategically in church uh, to avoid getting the giggles in inappropriate ways. Uh, often what happened with our family is my brother would sing like the soprano line and uh, that would just crack me up and we'd get dirty looks from my mom. And yeah, my favorite version of that is actually a misheard lyric when I was younger, but there's a line that for probably way too long in my childhood, I thought Kevin and Anita, as opposed to, and heaven and nature sing. I always thought it was Kevin and Anita sing. <laughs> and then at some point I got old enough and realized that, no, that song is not actually written about the missionaries that, you know, it's, yeah. There's a city in Canada, Calgary. And I used to, whenever they said Calvary, you know, in, in, in when they're reading scripture or, or in a hymn, I always thought they were talking about Calgary. I'm like, why is why is that being mentioned? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I used to figure if we're laughing in church, the worst thing is that you might be a little bit disruptive to someone else's experience, but I just I have to assume that, <laughs> Maybe you're, that, you're that God doesn't care because that would have been smoted or smitten or smited before then. <laughs> you survived, so must be okay. So because our podcast is mostly focused on pop culture depictions of Amish and Mennonites, we thought we would ask you about what your favorite depiction of Amish and Mennonites in the media is, or or and whether that's favorite because you think it's the worst or favorite because you think it's the best. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave up to you. Wow. Okay. Well, um, does a passing reference count? Yes. Go okay, because there I can think of a couple really good jokes, and I'm probably not repeating them quite, quite correctly. There's an episode of Modern Family where they were get they were getting married, and they went to the uh, wedding planner or whatever, and they and they they were surprised at how expensive it was, and and they said, well, you know, we can you know, we can cut out the, the, the booze, the music and the whatever. And then he said, Oh, what is that? The Mennonite package or whatever. <laughs> nice. package. I, again, I, I'm not repeating it <laughs> verbatim. Or, there's some good, uh, good jokes like that. Yeah. I'm actually surprised it gets, it gets in there. Uh, especially Amish. I think probably people have this uh, image of what Amish means, you know, Whereas I'm surprised actually when Mennonite sometimes it's mentioned because I, I fewer people know what that is. <laughs> I've been to enough weddings that are at Mennonite churches and enough mm. Mennonite churches that don't allow alcohol at a wedding. And usually there's no dancing. Yeah. <laughs> so that sounds pretty accurate. And half the time those weddings were also potlucks. So <laughs> they were as far as the frugality is concerned. Well, and I think there is something to that because oftentimes Amish tend to be much more popular in terms of popular fiction and because they're so much more distinctive. So there is that element of just like any mention of Mennonites is like, oh, they said our name. Guys, they they said our name. They care. So there's like, yeah. They know we exist. There's actually a scene in my book where they um, they go to a used books sale and there's T- table after table of Amish romance books. And they, they're trying to 
find something they like. They, they, the uh, person at the book sale says they can take a whole, it's a, it's like $10 a box kind of thing. Just fill up, fill up a box, yeah. 10 bucks. Have you ever had yeah. occasion to, to read a bonnet novel? That's, you know, I don't think that I've read one that would actually qualify as a, a bonnet novel, like a, uh, you know, Amish romance. I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I don't know. What would be some, what would be a few titles that I, sh- that I would. Uh... There are some kind of like classics of the genre, like The Shunning by Beverly Lewis and some of the ones that are kind of Mm-hmm. Play kind of critical roles. And we have not really ventured into those yet. We've mostly been whatever happens to be free, freely accessible at the time when we're picking books. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many. You can just, if you, like our first one that we did for this podcast uh, involved a camel farm and we've done ones that have tornadoes. So like if there's just something else, like so you can just choose Amish and then whatever other thing you want to read about. And you can almost certainly find... Mm-hmm. Uh, Amish fiction book that like combines those two things. I did. I did a Daily Bonner article that had, I think the headline was Mennonite woman amasses the world's largest collection of Beverly Lewis books or something like that. So. <laughs> that would be accurate. Mm-hmm. Is that you? Is that? Oh uh, no! Oh no! <laughs> it's pro- It's our workplace, though. Um, as far as as far as the romance novel goes, we are figuring that it's at least two. Mennonite Amish themed romance novels published a week on average. Wow. It adds up. Yeah. Is, is, is bonnet ripper a correct term or is that, do people not use that term? Uh, We use it because we think it's funny. Okay. (laughs) Bonnet ripper, bonnet novel. Yeah. Yeah, Amish romance. They're all kind of interchangeable. Think of the term bonnet ripper as sort of affectionate, but um, right, right. I don't know that the authors would think that. <laughs> so. True. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Just Plain Wrong. A huge thank you to our guest, Andrew Unger, for being here. We had a great time chatting with you about your novel, Once Removed, and your satire site, The Daily Bonnet, for all your Mennonite satire needs. And uh, thanks for giving our listeners uh, some insider info on Russian and Canadian Mennonites and how they might differ from the Amish groups we typically talk about on this podcast. We will be back next week with an episode on Belle, an Amish retelling of Beauty and the Beast. We were able to find that on Hoopla through our public library, so you can check there if you want to read along. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at PlainWrongPod, or you can reach us on email, plainwrongpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.